welcome to Our Way Forward. This is a podcast about conversations about our future. A very small number of people, the world's wealthiest people, have an idea of how the world will be in the very near future. They didn't ask me and they didn't ask you. I cannot let their vision of the world be the one that my children will grow old in. It's time for us to have a frank and robust conversations about how we want the world and humanity to evolve. There are three things each human needs before we can devote our time to changing the internal and external world. Water, food and shelter. When these needs are met, that is when change will happen. We need to secure these fundamentals for the masses and then use our collective might to be the change you want to see in the world. Let's talk and make a change. The world has gone a bit crazy over the last 18 months. Everything has been turned on its head. Covid, disease, finance, unemployment, lockdowns, suicides, depression, children not going to school. But it's, it's just it's just crazy. This this is not a world that anybody wants to live in. And this is a world that we need to change now. Because as it stands, I, I was going to say the elites of this world, but they're, they're not the elites of this world. They're, they're the world's wealthiest people who have monopolised certain industries and resources and just accumulated wealth beyond the imagination of the average person. The problem being is that these people, these people, these wealthy few, they do have a very, very coherent plan about how they want the world to be over the coming years and subsequent decades. We're going to dig deeper into the plans of these people, their agenda, the the way that they're going to be manipulating the world and the masses to mould an image of their tyrannical future it really is George Orwell's 1984 and technology seems to be the key part of it all and the technology will mean nothing without the data that they're collecting on each and every one of us every day every second every time you click on your computer your tablet or your smartphone but I don't want this podcast to be so negative all the time that's why i've created two podcasts there is this one which is our way forward here i want to talk with people and do interviews about solutions ways that we can improve the world ways that we can improve the way that we live and ourselves and the other podcast is our way forward problems this is where i'll be mainly reposting other information and interviews of people who are talking the truth, people who are standing up to this tyranny and corruption and doing something about it. This is also why I've chosen to create these podcasts, because we're at this time now where everybody needs to do something and this is the start for me. This is going to be the start of a conversation between us where we will be creating change in the world. I've got some ideas I want to share with you. So let's make a start by 
in this introductory episode by just defining a few things. Let's find out exactly what it is that this future that these wealthy individuals want to create because it doesn't sound very good. So I'm going to start by playing a couple of clips. This first clip is going to be from Boris Johnson's speech at the UN in uh, 2018. Um, and I will play a few clips, cut it up and then have a little chat about it. No one can ignore a gathering force that is reshaping the future of every member of this assembly. There has been nothing like it in history. When I think of the great scientific revolutions of the past, print, the steam engine, aviation, the atomic age, I think of new tools that we acquired, but over which we, the human race, had the advantage, which we controlled. And that is not necessarily the case in the digital age. You may keep your secrets from your friends, from your parents, your children, your doctor, even your personal trainer. But it takes real effort to conceal your thoughts from Google. And if that is true today, in future, there may be nowhere to hide. That sets the scene, really, doesn't it? We are talking about a digital surveillance system that knows everything about you. And as he said there, but as he said there, it takes real effort to conceal your thoughts from Google. Now, this is a big part of what we need to get into. I've been trying for probably about two years now to remove Google from my life. Um, it is not easy, it's very hard, but a lot, of, a lot of you might not realize how pervasive it really is at the moment. I mean, you know, if you've got an Android smartphone, it's all run by Google. If you've got a Chromebook, it's all run by Google. You've got a Chromecast for your TV, it's all Google. You know, Google Maps, Gmail. On, the list is endless. The thing is that all of these things are, are free. They tout them as being free, but they might not cost you in a financial sense, but what it does cost you is your data. And you will be absolutely astounded about how much data that they actually have on you already. Now, I might be butchering this, but um, we will be getting into this in subsequent episodes and we'll make sure that the references are correct and right. But from my memory, um, I seem to remember that if you grew up in the 90s, which is literally me, my generation, um, I'm 40 now, so you know I started using the internet probably when I was about 15 or 16. So we're doing 25 years. Now in that time, Google has accumulated over 3 million pages of data just on me or you. 3 million pages of data. Just imagine what is in there. Everything you've ever clicked on, everything that you've ever searched for. I mean, that's some serious, serious power going on there. They're going to know more about you than you know yourself. They're going to know about the deepest depressive aspects of your life. They're going to know about the most joyous ones. They're going to know what you do when you go to bed. Come on, this is quite insane. 
And as Boris just said, then in the future, this may be impossible to remove yourself from this. We, we, we are talking the Fort Police in 1984. We're talking, you know, pre-crime, the, the pre-crime and minority report. This is what we're talking about. Smart cities will pullulate with sensors all joined together by the Internet of Things. Bollards communing invisibly with lampposts so there is always a parking space for your electric car so that no bin goes unemptied, no street unswept and the urban environment is as antiseptic as a Zurich pharmacy. But this technology could also be used to keep every citizen under round-the-clock surveillance. There you go. He just said it himself. Round-the-clock surveillance. A future Alexa will pretend to take orders, but this Alexa will be watching you, clucking her tongue and stamping her foot. In future, voice connectivity will be in every room and almost every object. Your, your mattress will monitor your nightmares. Your fridge will beep for more cheese. Your front door will sweep wide the moment you approach like some silent butler. Your smart meter will go hustling of its own accord for the cheapest electricity and every one of them minutely transcribing your every habit in tiny electronic shorthand stored, not in their chips or in their innards, nowhere you can find it, but in some great cloud of data that lowers ever more oppressively over the human race. A giant dark thundercloud waiting to burst and we have no control over how or when the precipitation will take place. And every day that we tap on our phones or work on our iPads, as I see some of you are doing now, we not only leave our indelible spoor in the ether, but we are ourselves becoming a resource, click by click, tap by tap, just as the Carboniferous period created the indescribable wealth, leaf by decaying leaf of hydrocarbons data is the crude oil of the modern economy data is the crude oil of the modern economy now he's not the first person i've heard say this i'm the ceo of mastercard said this some years ago and you know if you think about the scale of what mastercard is it is nearly half the digital payment transactions on people's credit cards and bank cards throughout the world. I mean, when he's talking about this, he's right. Boris Johnson's talking about this. It's all about data. But did you notice a couple of other things that he said in there? Uh, that, that you will leave your indelible score. So every time you're searching for stuff, you're clicking, you're, you're doing things, or even you mentioned the cheese in your fridge, didn't he? You know, that, that, that's giving you a score. So if you're going to be buying... Uh, rustlers burgers or um, processed food of any kind just stuff you know is this going to have an effect on your score is 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 that what he's talking about and uh, and the resource it says that he says that we will be coming the resource so in, is this is the question we need to ask ourselves these things if we go ahead and we have a fridge that can order us a cucumber when we're out. We, we have 
all of these other things, these Alexas, these mattresses that can determine our nightmares and what other stuff can they determine as well if it's a mattress? When have these everyday items that used to be utilitarian for us, like a mattress to sleep on, like a chair to sit on, when when have they stopped being the resource? And now that they're the thing that measures us as a resource, this this is you know this is this is concerning. And we're now in an environment where we don't know who should own these new oil fields. We don't know who should have the rights or the title to these gushers of cash, and we don't know who decides how to use that data. And can these algorithms be trusted with our lives and hopes? Should the machines, and only the machines, decide whether or not we are eligible for a mortgage or insurance or what surgery or medicines we should receive? Are we doomed to a cold and heartless future in which computer says yes or computer says no with the grim finality of an emperor in the arena? How do you plead with an algorithm? How do you get it to see extenuating circumstances? And how do we know that the machines have not been insidiously programmed to fool us or even to cheat us? How do we know that machines haven't been insidiously programmed to fool us or deceive us? I mean, wow, this is dystopian, is it not? I mean, we're in the matrix right now, aren't we? Because, yeah, who's, who's to say? I mean, who is programming these, these machines? We don't know, do we? But the other things that he's saying there that, that just, you know, stand out to me. Who should own these new oil fields? Does that mean that it's not determined already? I mean, clearly Google own a lot of this data um, because they are one of the wealthiest companies that have ever, that's ever existed on, on this planet another thing that was just funny what you said these gushes of cash now what are you saying about boris johnson he's quite a, a thespian when it comes to relaying his speeches i mean some of them are quite comical and and the words that he comes out with but these gushes of cash it means that there's clearly this huge financial interest behind all of this data and the other thing that is you know affecting one of the three main things that we need to sort out for each individual human and on this on this planet uh, you know that's water food and shelter so when he says here should the machines be eligible to decide if we get a mortgage that is directly affecting one of those three basics of life shelter now I don't really want a machine to decide whether or not I can get a mortgage. I mean, to be honest, I suppose we're already at that stage because I applied for a mortgage some some years ago now in HSBC. And uh, yeah, she literally put all of the information into the computer and it came up with a decision. It wasn't her, it was the computer. So yeah, blimey, we are already there, aren't we? We have been there for quite some time. So yeah, we are... Uh... Okay, okay. We're already uh, using all kinds of messaging services that offer instant communication 
at minimal cost. And these same programs, platforms, could also be designed for real-time censorship of every conversation with offending words automatically deleted. Indeed, in some countries, this happens today. Digital authoritarianism is not, alas, the stuff of dystopian fantasy, but of an emerging reality. If you found this podcast and you're listening to it, the chances are that you're awake to uh, the corruption, uh, the censorship that's been happening over the last year and a bit. You know, and, and, and he says it there, doesn't he? Digital authoritarianism. Now, imagine it, that you are typing something on Twitter or Facebook and you're, you're, you're getting censored in real time. Now, I, I know this for a fact. Like, I, I was listening to Naomi Wolf, um, who used to be a, an advisor to Bill Clinton. She's a, a feminist, uh, liberal, left-leaning uh, commentator these days. And she was saying how, because she's been speaking out against this COVID narrative, that before she'd even finished like writing a tweet that it had been prevented from being posted. You know, we, we are here. This stuff is in existence today. Arrival of the internet is far bigger than print. It's bigger than the atomic age, but it's like nuclear power in that it's capable of both good and harm. And of course, it's not alone. As new technologies seem to race towards us from the far horizon, we strain our eyes as they come to make out whether they are for good or bad, friends or foes, AI. Again, this underlying theme of technology, and he ends it there, you know, are they good or bad, AI? What will it mean? Helpful robots washing and caring for an aging population or pink-eyed terminators sent back from the future to cull the human race? What will synthetic biology stand for? Restoring our livers and our eyes with miracle regeneration of the tissues like some fantastic hangover cure? Or will it bring terrifying limbless chickens to our tables? Will nanotechnology help us to beat disease or will it leave, leave tiny robots to replicate in the crevices of our souls? It is a... Did you hear that last bit? Will it leave tiny robots to replicate in the crevices of our souls? Now, there's something extremely metaphysical there. I mean, how, are we, how have we gone from nanotechnology to heal the body um, to tiny robots replicating in the crevices of our souls? Now, again, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast, you have probably done your own research. You've, you've found out many, many things that's been going on over the last year. And... This COVID narrative is about establishing a medical dictatorship. If you don't have the vaccine that they provided for you, you will not be able to engage in, in certain aspects of society. And we've all heard it, okay? We, we all heard it from the beginning about Bill Gates wanting to inject 7 billion people on the planet. And we've all heard about the nanotech that could potentially be in here. Now, whether that's true is it, a speculation, complete speculation. But what we can know as definitive is that Boris Johnson was talking about this at the UN 
in, in September of 2019. Now, that's not long before all of this really started, is it? It really isn't. So, you know, again, this is what this podcast is about. This is about taking the words that they speak themselves and we'll talk about it and we'll analyse it and, 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 and we'll just stop ourselves from ending up in this trap because I don't want tiny robots replicating in the crevices of my soul. Right, that has gone on a little bit longer than I expected. Uh, as I say, this is the first introductory episode to this podcast. Um, so bear with me. We will be refining this over time, making the sound a bit smoother. I did buy a microphone, um, but it is a micro USB socket, and I've only got USBs on this laptop. So yeah, give me time, and we'll make this sound a smoother more coherent podcast but um, again on this first little bit talking about how they want the world to be I mean there's, there's a few other things that we need to go through I mean obviously there's the great resets there's the fourth industrial revolution there's agenda 2020 agenda 2030 um, so it's agenda 2021 now that and agenda 30 they are these sustainable development goals that have been put down by the un and apparently signed by 193 different countries um we will be going into them in in subsequent episodes because they are very important and especially when you delve down into the small print to see what they actually say about stuff but uh, there's a couple of things I just want to add in here. Um, you know, the, these these agendas um, have been going on for, for decades, if if not longer. Um, and again, this is something we're going to get into. But just to, like, reiterate what they do, I, I they have a, a point of telling us what they're going to do in advance... I've heard some people talk about this um, as a way that they believe they can get out the karmic debt for the evil that they're about to portray on the world. But one thing that we need to just talk about here is, is Event 201, which happened um, on October the 18th, 2019. Now, this is literally just, you know, months before we had all of this coronavirus bullshit going on um and the first i remember of it was it, it was halloween in wuhan when they started to lock it down so you know a couple of weeks before this stuff happened in wuhan um obviously it took some months later for it to reach Europe and, uh, and America and the rest of the world. But um, look, this is the, just uh, the, the, first, the first thing here is called a call to action. Event 201, public-private cooperation for pandemic preparedness and response. A call to action. The next severe pandemic will not only cause great illness and loss of life, but could also trigger major cascading economic and societal consequences that could contribute greatly to global impact and suffering. 
Efforts to prevent such consequences or respond to them as they unfold will require unprecedented levels of collaboration between governments, international organisations and the private sector. There have been important efforts to engage the private sector in epidemic and outbreak preparedness at the national and regional level. However, there are major unmet global vulnerabilities and international system challenges posed by pandemics that will require new robust forms of public-private cooperation to address. The Event 201 pandemic exercise conducted on October 18, 2019 vividly demonstrated a number of these important gaps in pandemic preparedness as well as some of the elements of the solutions between the public and private sectors that will be needed to fill them. The John Hopkins Center for Health Security, the World Economic Forum and Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation jointly jointly proposes the following. Now, that was the first statement um, of Event 201. I'll, I'll, I'll put the link. You can actually see it as a video. Um, I might even put the whole video of it on um, the sister podcast, Our Way Forward problems but you know they're having a a a pandemic preparedness event literally just months before uh, uh, this happens on a global scale and there's these three names that we're going to be coming back to again and again and again because um, they always keep on popping up the John Hopkins Center for Health Security the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, again, they just seem to have their fingers in the pies on everything that's going on here. Now, so that one was one that has uh, happened in the past. Now, one which I believe is starting today or or, or very soon or maybe tomorrow um, is the World Economic Forum's Cyber Polygon. Now... This is the opening statement again. Again, this is a, a, a an online, like, well, I'll just read this statement. Cyber Polygon. Digitalization is accelerating everywhere. New digital, new digital ecosystems are forming all around us, creating unnoticed linkages across services and supply chains. As the world grows more interconnected, the speed of development makes it difficult to assess the impact of change. A secure approach to digital development today will determine the shape of our future for decades to come. Having the right skills in place to protecting organisations from attack now. What is Cyber Polygon? Cyber Polygon is a unique cyber security event that combines the world's largest technical training exercise for corporate teams and an online conference featuring senior officials from international organizations and leading corporations. The 2021 conference discusses the key risks of digitalization and best practice for the secure development of digital ecosystems. The 2021 technical exercise builds and tests the skills needed to protect our industries centering on a targeted supply chain attack. Every year, the training brings together a global business and government agencies to collaborate on technical exercises. The live stream draws in millions of spectators from across the world. 
And that's from the World Economic Forum. They are talking about look, reshaping digital development for decades to come. Okay. Having the right skills in place is key to protecting organizations from attack now. So it's like, look, they're, they're, they're saying that there's going to be attack, centering on a targeted supply chain attack. Okay, I'm hearing other people, especially like uh, Christian Westbrook on the Ice Age Farmer, he's been talking about it for quite a long time, about food shortages to come. You know, Martin Armstrong of Armstrong Economics, you know, he, he's talking about shortages to come. Maybe not in the same way as Christian Westbrook is, but he's saying that, you know, from the mismanagement of the financial system, that it's going to be inevitable that that supplies and commodities will, will be affected from it all. So, again, are they telling us this stuff in advance, like they did with Event 201? Whatever happens, I suggest that you all stock your cupboards up, you know, get some extra tins of tomatoes, just, uh, just get as much as you possibly can. Because it wasn't that long ago, it was only a few weeks ago, that the Italians weren't able to get hold of tins to put their tomatoes in. And they are the biggest producer of tin tomatoes in the world. Now imagine not having a bolognese or a chili con carne, you need a tin of tomatoes to put in it, don't you? So when we won't be able to get hold of goods such as that, that's when life is going to be changing for the worse. So I would stock the shelves up now. If that's happening today or tomorrow, let's give it a few months, see what happens. It's a prediction. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. You know, then at least you've got some food that you can eat. Won't have cost you anything, will it? But the problem is, is just like this World Economic Forum. There's this guy, Klaus Schwab, and uh, I hope many of you have heard of him, but he is literally a Bond villain. Uh, when, when you see some of his videos, and I'm going to be playing a couple of clips from him because he released a book last year called The Great Reset, COVID-19, The Great Reset. And uh, he released it in, uh, I think it was about June. And it's like, why? How, how do you have a whole book ready to be released, you know, just when this pandemic was just, you know, months old? His his idea about it all is that we need a great reset in order to set us forth into the fourth industrial revolution. So I'm just going to play a couple of clips of him and, um, and then we'll break it down. We have a choice to remain passive, which would lead to, an, to the amplification of many of the trends we see today. Polarization, nationalism, racism, and ultimately increased social unrest and conflicts. But we have another choice. We can build a new social contract particularly integrating the next generation. We can change our behavior to be in harmony with nature again. And we can make sure that the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution are best utilized to provide us with better lives. In short, we need a great reset. He seems to be giving us the option there of a world of racism, nationalism and conflict or we go along with um, what he says and we can use the tools of the fourth industrial revolution 
uh, and and create a, a more equitable society. One thing that interests me in that is him mentioning the social contract. Um, within modern philosophy, it was Hegel who did much work on this, on the social contract. Um, clearly, there's always been a social contract, you know, but it was Hegel who really sat down and, and wrote about it in depth for the first time. Um, before his time, it was really just a master and slave social contract. But um, he started to say that there were certain obligations that the state had to live up to in order for the citizen to be a proactive part within society. But my point being is that if there is a social contract, the only way that social contract will work is if it has your wet signature on the contract. If you choose not to sign it, you do not have to go along with any of this. The fourth industrial revolution will impact our lives completely. It will not only change how we communicate, how we produce, how we consume, it will change actually us, our own identity, which of course gives life uh, to such uh, policies and uh, developments like uh, smart traffic, smart government, smart cities. What we will see is that uh, everything will be integrated into a ecosystem driven by big data and uh, driven uh, particularly by close cooperation also of governments uh, with um, uh, business, civil society. And this revolution will come at a race-taking speed. It will be like a tsunami. And actually, it's not just a digital revolution, it's digital, of course physical, it's nanotechnology, but it's also biological. And those three dimensions provide the particular force to this revolution. So what the World Economic Forum is doing is to promote uh, this public-private cooperation to master the fourth industrial revolution. Some of that sounded extremely similar to Boris Johnson's speech, did it not? Now, who's taking the cue from Hugh? From who? <laughs> I think that Boris is probably taking the cue from from Klaus, to be honest. Because uh, as it seems, you know, the World Economic Forum. Um, if you haven't heard of them before, you may have heard of Davos, because uh, traditionally they meet once a year in Davos, which is. Uh, very wealthy resort for the wealthiest people on this planet uh, within with in Switzerland. So there you go. That's who Klaus Schwab is, and that's what his agenda is. And it seems to be that the Prime Minister of the UK, Boris Johnson, is bang on board with what he's saying. So you've got 
unlimited wealth. You've got time. You've got the resources in order to sit back and think about how you want to change the outcome of humanity using all of the things that both Boris and Klaus were talking about. Nanotechnology, smart this, smart that. So you've got everything you need. You've got politicians in your pocket. How do you go about implementing this agenda that you've been working on for so long? The main tool, the first tool that you must use is fear. When you have a fearful audience, they are easy to manipulate and mould into the way that you want. Now enter COVID. This was the perfect excuse to get this ball rolling. At the beginning, everyone was so fearful that they were going to die. Not everyone. I wasn't. There was other people that weren't, but everyone was in fear. Hey, now give it, you know, 15 months, whatever it is, and there's a lot of a lot of people waking up and again this is why you'll be looking for this podcast and and engaging with it because you have gone past the fear you can see it for what it is now a virus that has a 99.7% chance of survival and it only really kills the very old and the infirm people with comorbidities do you know in the UK the average age of death for somebody who died with COVID, not necessarily of COVID, with COVID, is 83. And let's put this in perspective. What is the average age of death in the UK? 82. So yes, we're on board. We know what's going on here. But the fear and the hysteria is still rampant and we must blame the government, SAGE, the BBC, Sky News. We must blame all of these for it because they have played... They are the, the four pillars of, of, of everything that's been going on here. Now, with, when it comes to this vaccine, this, this is the second part. They, they, they know that they can't grip everybody in fear forever. So what happens with this vaccine is that there's going to be a good chunk of people that, that won't want to take it for many, many reasons. But there's going to be a lot of people who are still in the state of fear. So they are going to be lapping it up. They're going to be rolling up their sleeves and having it injected any which way they can. Now, when we get to this point, this is the second part of their plan. This is where divide and conquer comes in. Because now we've got two parts of society and it's going to be very hard for us to truly know like, you know, what percentage of people do not want to take this vaccine because we aren't getting a true representation of it from, from the media. We, we, we're subjecting ourselves to finding each other on the marches in London, finding each other on telegram groups. People are getting banned off of Facebook for even mentioning vaccines. And people can't even type vaccine in on Twitter. It's, it's just a crazy world of censorship. But this is where we are now. I don't want to be taking the vaccine. I won't be taking an experimental vaccine. So 
I hope you agree with me and, and I hope you're going to be on the same side. But this is where I need to like come in. I, I, I need to just read you a couple of things that I wrote last year. Um, and it just felt right for me to do this on the winter solstice on the 21st of December. It was also the day that we had a great conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn and that they appeared in the same point in the sky uh, for the first time in oh it is like hundreds of years like 800 years or something again I, I, I might be butchering that we can double check that another time but there was a lot of astrological power going on that day and um and I felt compelled to write this so I, I'm going to read it to you the declaration of personal sovereignty I hereby declare that I, the living man, Daniel Edwards of Kent, on this date of the 21st of December 2020, proclaim my personal sovereignty of body, mind and spirit. I was born on this land and it is a natural God-given right that I can exercise my freedoms to travel freely, partake in business activities to produce wealth, practice freedom of religion and raise my family without fear of oppression and tyranny. I and my fellow countrymen and women have been trespassed upon by the Service Corporation acting as the UK government and the Service Corporation is acting as the various police forces within the UK. What we are dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. The people who live on this land have been deceived, imprisoned and financially bullied by these impostors. The Service Corporation acting as the UK government has declared many legal acts since March 2020. It turns out that these acts are not enforceable, enforceable by the police and furthermore not enforceable by the courts. These publicly taunted legal acts have no lawful capacity and are at best guidelines or recommendations. Nonetheless, the general population has been manipulated with fear propaganda and force to believe that these legal acts of jurisdiction they do not have any jurisdiction over you unless you agree to it i do not comply there has been one narrative pushed forward since march 23rd 2020 by the acting uk government lock down the country until a vaccine is produced for this deadly virus the mainstream media have been pivotal pivotal in creating this environment of fear in this nation based on this one narrative. Professional people with outstanding credentials like doctors, professors, business leaders and scientists who have asked valid questions about this narrative have been ignored or slandered by these news corporations. When the mainstream media only report one aspect of the story it's called propaganda. A new narrative is beginning to emerge from these politicians by the mainstream media. A future where we will have to a future where we will have to have one or two vaccinations a year to keep up to date with the latest corona mutation. If we refuse these vaccinations we will be refused a health passport, and as a consequence we will not be able to attend large gatherings such as concerts, football games, privately owned shopping centres and even schools. Travel on planes, trains and buses will become impossible without a health passport. You will be excluded from the normal activities of a healthy society unless you can prove you had a vaccine. I cannot and will not let my children grow up in a world like that. 
medical dictatorship where fear of a virus that has never killed a healthy child in this country but demands so much in return. Medical dictatorship which profits from this scenario and all other illnesses since any aspect of the debate has been extinguished from critical analysis of this medical dictatorship I have been put in a corner. I'm being asked to take an untested vaccine for the rest of my life just to partake in society. You can do what you want. It's none of my business. Take as many untested vaccines as you like, but you have no right to demand that of me. As a result, I've come to the conclusion that we must divide this country between those who want bodily autonomy and faith in the human immune system and those who want medical dictatorship ruled over by the pharmaceutical companies. There are tens of millions within this country who want their own bodily autonomy. Over the coming weeks and months, our numbers will be confirmed. This acting government has failed us. The media has failed us. We, the common people, require our independence from this corruption and tyranny. We will reinstate our freedoms under the common law and regain access to the public courts to restore them to their correct position within our society. By doing this, I hereby declare the land, assets, property and infrastructure of the nation will be divided equally between those who wish for bodily autonomy and those who do not. A diaspora of the population will occur over time, so that the people who proclaim their personal sovereignty of body, mind and spirit can live their lives without fear of oppression and tyranny. Yours faithfully, Dan Edwards. There's a lot to look at in that, and as I did write that well, six months ago, more, more, a little bit more on the winter solstice, and it, it, it just came out of me on that day. It just flowed. It was the darkest day of the year, you know, the shortest day, the longest night. It, it, it just happened like that. There's, there's stuff in there that isn't correct, um, but there's stuff in there that still is correct, and. I, I do believe that we are at a split now. We are at a split where, you know, even my wife's mum, she was just like chastising my wife for not having the vaccine because it's the duty that you're going to be affecting other people if you don't have it. And it's just like, again, the narrative seems to have changed because historically a vaccine is something that you take to protect yourself from a disease it's not about something that you take in order to protect others so again you know you you see it you've you've been keeping up with all of the bullshit that comes out of, of the mainstream media in this narrative but whatever you say you know I, I don't know if there's tens of millions of us in this country i really would hope so um there's at least got to be 10 million of us uh, i've got to be honest i mean there there was um at least a million people at the march uh, last saturday in london and they say that there was a million people again on the next day when when the djs came out with their floats you know and then there's all the people who couldn't get to london on that day so you know 10 million seems like a, a realistic figure maybe more let's hope let's really hope but one thing we do know is that there is a split going on there's a split between those who feel 
that the unvaccinated pose a threat to them. And then there's us, the unvaccinated, who feel that the vaccine poses a threat to us. So, you know, I, I don't see how we're going to resolve that anytime soon. Um, and again, this is the plan. This is the divide and conquer, isn't it? So here's my suggestion, right? We start talking about solutions. Fuck the people who think that we're a threat to them, okay? Just disengage with them. What's the point? Are you going to change somebody's mind who's already rolled up their sleeves to have two injections of, of mRNA vaccines that have been rushed through at warp speed, uh, you know, in a matter of months? I mean, come on, you're not going to change their mind. They're, they've been brainwashed. They're part of a cult now. And anything you say to them is just going to be like water off of a duck's back. So this, that's why I've set up this podcast. This is about creating solutions. We need to build and grow our new world. Our way forward is to find each other and grow and build our new society now. And we need to take care of those first three things that I talked about at the, be at the beginning. And in order to do that, we need to deal with things like the wealth transfer that happened. Again, whilst we're all in this state of fear, the biggest wealth transfer in history occurred. This is what they do. They create these problems and make sure that they earn shitloads of money out of it whilst it happens. So trillions were wiped off of the value of the middle classes and the working classes, and trillions have been added to those of the super rich already. Again, sleight of hand, isn't it? We're all standing there in fear and fighting with each other about, oh, have you had a vaccine? Have you not had a vaccine? And they're just hoovering up all the money. Look, the corruption is rife through government, through local organisations and through corporations. It's, I, everywhere I just see corruption. And it's, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. And I don't think that there's any point in us engaging within these governmental systems where this corruption is rife we need to build and grow new ones and when these ones become symbols of light justice and equality the old ones will tumble away that's our job now that's our one job we just need to concentrate on this we need to use counter economics we need to disengage ourselves from from the systems that give them wealth. That means you need to stop using Amazon. You need to stop using Google. Let's put our money together. Let's find the local businesses, the small businesses who we are, and spend our money between each other. Make ourselves wealthy in the meantime. We need to get some land together and we need to get farms going on. We need to take care of our water supply. When we can do all of these things, then we can start building real change. But real change is happening now. I see many of you on these Telegram platforms and, and groups uh, talking about wonderful things. You know, again, it's a very good way for us to disseminate information, but it's also a very good way to find out if there's people who live nearby you who think the same way that you do, who feel the same way. Because we need to get together. This is going to be our new family. Our new family to build and grow this new society. So thank you for listening. I'm going to... Hopefully I've got a few interviews 
that I need to do. I just needed to get this introductory episode out of the way and put up there because it will be available on, on all of the big um, all the big podcast names is Spotify, iTunes. I personally use Podcast Addict. Again, I'm trying to remove myself from the uh, grips of these large corporations. I had a Spotify account for for many, many years. And when they removed Ian Brown's song, Little Seed, Big Tree, because it didn't go along with the WHO COVID narrative, it's like, wow, you're censoring art. That is the first step to a totalitarian government. At that moment, Spotify was out of my life. I, I, I will not pay them anymore. You know, I know that the podcast is going to be on there because lots of you use that in order to listen to things. But you'll be able to listen to this on the website. It's rwayforward.co.uk. Um, again, give me time. I'm new to all of this. I'm just building this up. Things will get more polished and sound better and just be a little... I want the production values to be good, like you're listening to something professional. I want to play one last clip. Uh, This was Chris Whitty speaking last summer about COVID. That actually the great majority of people will not die from this. And I'll just repeat something I said right at the beginning because I think it's worth reinforcing. Most people, well, a significant proportion of people will not get this virus at all at any point in the epidemic, which is going to go on for a long period of time. (laughs) Of those who do, some of them will get the virus without even knowing it. They will have the virus with no symptoms at all, asymptomatic carriage, and we know that happens. Of those who get symptoms, the great majority, probably 80%, will have a mild or moderate disease, might be bad enough for them to have to go to bed for a few days, not bad enough for them to have to go to the doctor. An unfortunate minority will have to go as far as hospital, but the majority of those will just need oxygen and will then leave hospital. And then a minority of those will end up having to go to severe uh, and critical care, and some of those, sadly, will die. But that's a minority. It's it's 1% or possibly even less than 1% overall. And even in the highest risk group, uh, this is significantly less than 20%, i.e. the great majority of people, even the very highest groups, if they catch this virus, will not die. The great majority of people will not die. So they want to re-engineer human society for a virus where the great majority of people will not die. This is insanity in my eyes. And that's why we need to build our new future. Our way forward is to find each other and to grow and build our new society. We need to build up our society, our new society, and the old one will crumble away. So let's get on with it. Let's get it done. Thank you for listening, and I'll be posting something as soon as I can. Hopefully I've got some interviews lined up with really interesting people. So let's leave it there for now, and I shall see you again soon. Take care out there.
takes real effort to conceal your thoughts from Google. But this technology can also be used to keep every citizen under round-the-clock surveillance. You can laugh, you can roll your eyes, but the dark occultists who run this world, they fear truly awakened and enlightened and authentic men and women, you know, that are exposing their bullshit. They fear people like us. This is why they go through the lengths that they go through to try to shut us down, because we stand in truth, and the truth is so powerful, you know? I mean, they have multi, multi-million dollar studios to pump out their propaganda nonstop, and they're shit-scared of people just getting in front of their computers at home and, and speaking the truth. You know, we're nothing to be fucked with. You know, truly enlightened spiritual beings are nothing like how the New Age portrays us. We're some badass motherfuckers that came here specifically to expose these fucking demons and fuck their game plan up. 